Hello and welcome. I'm your hostess, Tanai, and I'm an intuitive coach. I help people feel fully self-expressed in their lives and relationships by learning to accept and love every part of themselves. For the past 10 years, I've worked with all kinds of sex and relationship experts to heal my own commitment phobia, to find out that there's actually no such thing. I'm ready to share everything that I've learned. So this podcast is my opportunity to debunk commitment phobia. So drop all your preconceived notions and tune in to hear what I've learned along my journey about what it takes for people to really create authentic and intimate connections. This is Commitment Phobe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Just as a little disclaimer, I'm currently in Guatemala and I'm not using the same mic that I usually use. The one that I usually use was extremely heavy and um, I decided to just take a backpack with me on this month-long trip. So bear with my mic. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing my best friend and one of the most powerful coaches that I know. She's the one person that got me into coaching when she looked at me in the face after giving me the same advice over and over again and is like, listen, I can't help you anymore. (laughs) You need to get coaching. Um, And it's been an adventure and a journey into my self-discovery ever since. She's a health food inventor, owns her own vegan food company, such a badass. It's for a meat alternative that she created. And she's a women's coach and helps women feel confident with themselves and their sensuality and their sexuality. And it's been, for me, a true gift to be able to witness her growth and also get her support and coaching anytime that that I've had things come up in relationship or around my sensuality and sexuality. So um, yeah, so excited to have her. And she's also my business partner. We run programs for women. And our biggest program right now is on daughtering, which is all about helping women shed the pressure of being good daughters to claim their sovereignty and unleash their authentic selves. Welcome, Taylor. Hello. Oh, you should read that um, intro for me all the time. It feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I should, yeah, I should um, message you in the morning and be like, how's my health food inventor best friend, who's one of the most powerful coaches that I know and helps women. Right, like, good morning, this is who you are. I should make it yeah. my, um, my alarm in the morning. Oh, my God. We should make like a, a self-help Alexa or like a self-help. Yeah. We're like, yeah, she like just gives you really um, insightful. Yeah. Nobody steal that. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Good morning, Alexa. Yeah. Good morning, Taylor. You health food inventor and sensuality coach. Uh-huh. Yeah, I love that. How, yeah, like what, what, what are you going to, um, like, how can you learn from the world today? You know, like, mm-hmm. you like a little prompt uh-huh. for you to like take to the rest. Yeah. Of the and life. then yeah. when you're feeling self-conscious, like Alexa, I'm not feeling myself. And she's just like, Oh, Taylor, you did it. Tell me all my, yeah. did you forget that you're powerful? <laughs> <as fuck? laughs> wow. This is a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> great start. Yeah. So, um, Ah, uh, you know, one of the things that I most admire about you is you are just such a go-getter. You're one of the very few people that I know that walks the talk, right? Walks the walk, talks the talk. Like you actually, you get coaching, you um, 
you look at yourself, you look at what's there and you actually go after it and you actually apply it. You know, you're not one to really live in your excuses or live in the what ifs. You just do it. And, um, and in, in one of the areas that you've done it the most and you've really like stuck through some really hard things is in relationships. Um, and it's pretty cool because I know you since we were, you know, 10. So I know your journey and I know what you've been through and what you've had to grow through to get to where you are in this wonderful relationship you've created. Um, so it's an honor for me to be able to learn from you. Thank you. Yeah. So will you, will you tell the audience what has been your relationship with intimacy and the fear of intimacy and commitment? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. My relationship with intimacy and commitment kind of became something I became really comfortable with um, quickly once I started dating. But all of the years, I guess, before the last like five or so, seven or so years of my life were spent with me making excuses as to why I didn't want to date. Like I would just tell people like, no, I don't date. I don't do relationships. Like, or I'm only going to date when I know that I'm ready to get married because I don't want to date. And truly what was underneath all of it before intimacy and commitment were even a thought for me was so much fear. Like I had zero self-confidence and I fully believed that I was like unlovable and not pretty. Nobody would ever want to date me anyway. So let me make sure that I'm really confident and really, you know, well accomplished and a leader and too busy to date anybody so that I don't look bad. Um, Mm -hmm. So then once I got past that. (laughs) Yeah. How, how did you get past that? Yeah. What was sort of that moment where you realized that that's what you were doing? Yeah, I guess getting into, um, I started working with my first life coach when I was in college and that led me into doing landmark. Um, and then that led, that led me into more coaching that we've done, you know, side by side and that we continue to do. What was your, yeah. What was your original reason to do coaching? I just felt really, um, stuck in like, I, I always knew even as a kid, I just always knew that I could feel better and that there was more out there. And I think I always knew since like middle school, high school that I, I got, like, I got it. Like I understood that my experience, um, was my experience where I was feeling self-conscious or I was watching other kids focusing on things that just like, you know, peaking in high school, I was just like, there's more here. Conversations could be deeper. I was always, you were like an old soul. Yeah. Like I was always thinking a lot. Like I was, I was the therapist of the friends. Like I was always unpacking things. And so once I was in college, I was kind of like, well, I've, I've done enough thinking of my own. I'm ready for somebody to kind of guide me to like a higher thinking. I, I knew there was more I wanted to understand. And so I started working with this coach, started learning a lot about manifestation and spirituality. And I grew up in a, in a Jewish religious background, um, where like dating was, was a big pressure dating to get married. And I just, I felt so, um, little in that because I didn't love myself and I was just anxious all the time. I was in a Jewish religious college where all of the women and all of the men were focused on getting married. And I was like, 
I'll never get married. I, even, you know, I'll never have even a partner. Like I'm so unlovable. And so it just like, it, it brewed so much um, ang- anxiety all around that and like lack of self-esteem. And that's kind of what, what led me to work with the first coach. Yeah. Mm, okay. So you were very self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. I always knew something could feel better. I always knew that I had a choice. Like even in high school, my dad was sick my entire upbringing. I knew I could either like be really depressed and stressed out from that, or I could like follow these random self-help things I was finding online that like sounded cool. And I was like, I'm going to go that route because it just feels better. Right. Yeah. I, I totally resonate with that, that I would always be like, oh, if I think it, I, I can be it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Let me try. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember growing up, one of your biggest things that you were even aware of was this sense of feeling better than everyone else. And, and mm-hmm. that was your thing in Landmark. Like, don't tell me what to do. Like, I know better. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you grow through that in relationships? <laughs> You know, I because I know a lot of people listening will feel the same where they have that come up of feeling better. You know, mm-hmm. so so how did how did it show how did it show up for you? How did you actually like step away from? That? Yeah, that's a good question. Very pointed because you know that that's my thing. Yeah, at first it was just a rude awakening. At first, you know, I had done all of this personal development work. I continued to. I knew so much about myself. I knew so much about the human ego. And there's so much about like why, you know, why people are operating the way they're operating and what past trauma they're operating that way out of. And so I I had this um, feeling of like, well, I know the answer to make things. This is what it was. In my mind, I was like, well, I know how to make you feel better. So why would you stay in your stress if I could make you feel better? And the other thing was like just a lot of control. I wanted to make sure that that this person was feeling better to override a fear that was like, if they're not aware of their shit, it's going to trickle into the future. I was completely, you know, jumping 20 years ahead, like it's going to trickle into the future. We're going to have problems. It's going to make my future unstable. Um, my children are going to feel it. Our marriage is going to suffer, blah, 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 blah. So I would have to control. So I would use all of this, you know, awareness of the human psyche to be able to control like, Oh no, respond to that situation that way. Don't get angry. Like I would get so triggered by past partners by their anger because I thought like if they're angry, then they have an anger issue and then this and that, this and that. And then I just found out that I stuffed my own, like I didn't have approval for my own anger, you know? And so, yeah, it started out as like, I was super controlling and I took a mothering role and my partnerships just didn't feel fulfilling because I was being a mom and I was, I was emasculating my men because I was afraid of them, but really I was controlling that, you know, like I just, there's no space yeah. for approval. Yes. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what, what does it mean to have a relationship where you're playing a mom or you're playing the, you know, or someone's playing your parent? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now I see it, I I still have the thoughts come up often and I just don't voice them and I notice where they're coming from. For example, um, my current boyfriend has injured his knee like multiple times and we drove past the skate park the other day and he was like, oh, I should go there with my skateboard. And I felt myself want to be like, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. You're going to get injured. 
And it's not just like, no, you're going to get injured. My mind goes to, you're going to get injured and then it's going to affect the rest of your life and then it's going to affect our life. And then 10 years from now, you're not going to be able to go skiing with our children because you're going to be too injured. And it's like, I see, I see the trip my brain goes on. And then what I would do is like, I would just be that mom of like, no, don't do that. Like, you shouldn't do that. Here are all of the logical reasons why you shouldn't. Or like, you know, you should eat this way because, you know, you, you need to be healthy. Yeah. And so then what happens? So then what happens? Like, what's the impact of mothering someone? On them and on you? Yeah. On me, I don't have the that partner that I actually want, like a man that leads me, you know, in my case where I, you know, predominantly date cis, cis men, I don't have that like leader that I actually want for my feminine energy. I don't have that masculine hold. I, I can't, I don't feel what I want so badly is to feel like trusted in my future. And what I'm actually creating is no trust. Like I can't, trust that they're going to keep me safe mm. i'm afraid they can right so it's like you you can either you either choose control mm-hmm. or you choose trust yes right so it's like you're at this like uh crossroad and so you either if you want the relationship you desire where this man is you know mm-hmm. is trustworthy or like you feel safe with him then it actually involves letting go of that right. trust and letting go of mothering him right by trying to control him. yeah and that's been a lesson for every part of my life like I mean, the reason I right, the reason I started coaching sexuality is because I realized that like my work, my business life is sexual, you know, meaning like the way that I that I am in a relationship is also the way that I am that I have to relate to a business. Like so what I realized is that all my fear that I had around business, losing all my money, losing my business, failing, something going wrong, looking bad, was is the same thing that comes up in a relationship and the fix, so to speak, for all of it for me was like, well, I'm trying really hard to control and all that it's causing is a lot of anxiety. And all that I really want is safety. So maybe if I just breathe and stop trying so hard, maybe that will get me a better result. And if it doesn't get me a better result, then like, that's okay. But the other one wasn't getting me a better result. So it's like, should I like, will it feel better to hold my breath and run a mile? Or breathe and run a mile. So like, let me breathe and run a mile. Because either, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's really what happened is I'm like, okay, I can either control every aspect of this human being and this relationship so that we last. And then we don't end up lasting. And it's, you know, doesn't feel good anyway. So now I'm like, let me try on letting go and being more present and actually trusting a person if what I really want is to trust the person. And so far, the results have been a lot more promising. And I feel less anxious, you know, right. on the way. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, control leads to anxiety. That's really what mm-hmm. it is, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or lo- that, that sense of lack of control. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I love that you mentioned, you know, you, you just talked about the, the process you've put yourself through in order to feel more comfortable. And one of the biggest things that you use is existential kink and sort of, um, and for those who don't know, existential kink is, um, and I mentioned it on, on the breakup episode, which is about, um, just having, um, approval for certain desires that you have that are things you shame, like 
you know, there's, there's a part of us that, um, that is, a, you know, a victim or a part of us that's selfish or a part of us that's a bitch. And it's all these aspects of ourselves that we don't really approve, but they are part of us and they have desires and they get fulfilled all the time, right? Having is, is evidence of wanting. So what I, what I've heard, witnessed you use a lot in your process of, of dating and even just relating is recognizing your own kinky desires in a relationship and seeing like, oh, wow, I created this situation that's really uncomfortable because there's a part of me that actually gets turned on by this. Mm-hmm. And I, I've witnessed you like flow through situations all the time just by acknowledging this. So so can you talk, can you give us some examples of, of how you've done that and how it's helped you? Yeah, um, I think that learning about the term existential kink in general has been really great to give me the name for it and like a a framework to to work through it into a more empowering place and also a lot of approval around this part of me that even since college like in college my best friend in college and I became best friends over bonding over the fact that we both love feeling like like we would love to just wallow like sometimes you would look at each other and be like, Oh, you're, you're being quiet. Oh, you're in your head. Yeah. Oh, what are you in your head about? I don't know. I'm just in my head. I'm like, we would just sit there and go down rabbit holes of whatever we felt like feeling bad about that day. And true, truly it was because like, we knew that we were, we were working through something in our mind. Usually like we were in a crowd of people. We felt self-conscious. We would look at the other one. One of us would be in our head. And we would just like want to leave, go home, feel like the victim, lay in bed, wallow, like work through our shit. But it felt so nourishing. And as we, you know, we, she and I both worked with the same coach in college. And as we worked through it, like we started to really realize that it was feeding this part of us that knew that there was more. You know, like I was saying earlier, how I always knew that there was more, you know, more wisdom or, or a higher level that I could get to. And so there was that feeling, yeah, that that got approval that like I could be in this victimhood or whatever the kink was. And so I guess in relationships, um, it feeds this part of me, my my little childhood self that's like, pretend you don't even want a relationship, be in control so that nobody can hurt you. So it's like now as an adult, it's like if I'm in control, nobody can hurt me. If I'm the one controlling this relationship, like I know where it's going, I could jump off at any moment. I can say like, oh, that guy was, you know, not good enough anyway, or he did this and that. He didn't do what I, you know, had on my checklist, whatever it is. I got to be in control, you know, but it totally contradicted with the relationship that I knew I wanted, you know, and I grew up in a home where like I had a badass, powerful mother who was like super in control though, you know? And like, I learned so much from my parents' relationship. And also we learn a lot that we want, you know, differently in our own relationships. And it's like, you know, due to circumstances of my dad being sick and and things that we went through in my family, my mom had to be the one, you know, in control. She was a rock. Um, and it's also like, okay, well, how how can I see now that that's what I'm mimicking? But that's not my reality. I don't, thank God, have an ill partner. I don't have to recreate that. I don't have to be in control. I don't have to do everything. Right. 
And like, honestly, all of this is just a huge ego check and an ego death of like, and not the only knowledgeable human being on this planet. Like whoever is listening to this, that's controlling your relationship. Like we're just not like, we're not smarter than them. We're not better than them. We are not more evolved or healed than them. Like we don't know what they need. Like they had their own mother that or parent that raised them. Like we just don't need to do it. Like I'm not that smart and I'm not that evolved and I have my own shit to heal. So I should focus on that. Right. It's all, it's all just an avoidance of, of asking yourself, what do I need? And what am I feeling? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. And this reminds me of, um, also I think for you, a big thing, at least in your last relationship was making more money than your partner. Mm. And it's something that comes up for people a lot. How did you deal with that? I, Cause I know, I don't know if it maybe it was a thing in the beginning and then it wasn't, but what was your relationship to that? Yeah. Um, for me, it wasn't really a thought, uh, you know, like, especially because I was so brought up in a home where it was like, yeah, work, do whatever you want, you know, make that money, live your dreams, grow your business. You know, like my parents were super supportive of that. And there was just never conversation in my home growing up about like who was making more um, or really anybody in my family. I, I feel super grateful that that's one thing that like money balance and the man needing to make more just wasn't a thing. I grew up in a home where both of my parents worked really hard and, um, and yeah, it was, it was encouraged. And so, yeah. So in my, in previous relationships or in my, my last long-term relationship, it kind of was a wake up call because it was confronting to him. We started dating though in very different places where he was, we were a year apart, but he was still in college and I was already working for two years. Um, and, and then he entered the, you know, he graduated and started looking for jobs and I was already you know, living quite stably off of my business that I grew from nothing. And so that was confronting for him through his own, you know, through his own process and add on top that I was trying to be a mother. So, and that I was being controlling. And so like that didn't help, you know? Mm. Yeah. Cause it was, it was almost like a justification to mothering. Yes. Because you are the one that has more experience and more money. Exactly. And it was all rooted in fear. It was like, well, this guy's not making money yet. He can't support me. That threatens my future. So I have to be in control so that I know that my future is not threatened. But at the same Mm. time, I'm like, oh my God, I just want this guy to feel confident in his job searching and his money making and all this stuff. And I truly like, it's coming from love. Like I only have love for him and it is still, you know, and it's like, you know, you just want the best for this person, but you also just want the best for yourself. And then I start operating from a, you know, from that place of fear. Um, And what I really learned, you know, going into my current relationship is like, it actually doesn't matter um, if your partner is confronted by it or, you know, I, I don't even know whether or not my current partner is confronted by how much money I make. I just focus on what I'm doing and I feel confident in it. And he focuses on what he's doing and he feels confident in it. And like, I acknowledge him and build him up for how impressive he is. 
and he acknowledges me and builds me up for how impressive I am. And like, we'll just, it'll be the middle of the day and we'll get a text from each other. Like, it's so hot how your, how your whole bit like company just listens to all of your creative ideas and you just do everything that you need, you know, and that you're so well appreciated at your job and I'll get text messages. Like, I'm so impressed by all the things that you do and your business and all this stuff. And you know, it's just like that grew because I'm not operating out of fear. And if I am operating out of fear, I name it. I'm like, hey, this is where I'm spiraling down right now. Mm. Yeah. So powerful. Such a powerful thing to like name fears in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, Because most people think that's going to push someone away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What were some of those fears that you actually had to um, confront in, in letting go of control? Yeah, I guess my one of my biggest fears, maybe the biggest like driving fear that you have seen me through, especially in the last year or so, is that this fear of like losing everything that I'm afraid I'm going to lose everything. And I I think that that, you know, growing up in a home where there was some instability around around my dad being ill. I guess that trickled into like, where can I grab control? That felt like, well, I have no control here to make sure that my dad is healthy. I have no control here to make sure that everybody remains calm. So like, where can I grab control? So then once I create- And like, own- and it's not even up to you. Like, it's interesting that you say like, how can I control my dad's health when it's not even your responsibility, right? right? So to begin right. with, it's like the roles were reversed. Yes. Totally, totally. Yeah, that's its own journey down like, where did I decide that it was all up to me to, as the youngest child to make sure that everybody was happy and healthy. But yeah, what was I saying before that? Um, Oh, yeah. So I looked for like, where, where can I just grab control? And once I saw that, if I'm making sales, if I have my own business, I can make sales. If I'm making sales, I can make money. If I'm making money, I can this and that. If I can make more sales, I can make more money. And then I could have this and that. And it's like, you know, that very much became, you know, what can I grab onto? So the business thing is there because the underlying fear is uh, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to be broken homeless. Like what if? And so then it's like, well, I see that I can control this, but I also have fears that are rooted in other areas of childhood where like I wasn't a good student or, you know, I I didn't do this well enough or whatever it was. So like, maybe I'm going to fail. Okay. I need to control this so that somebody else is there as backup to take care of me. I need to make sure that like their money is in order, their job situation is in order so that somebody's there to, to give me security. And that was like, oh, that one makes me icky because at the same time I'm like I don't need anybody I don't need anybody (laughs) but like the fears don't look the logic you know like yeah well yeah especially when we grow up in a Jewish home where they tell us you know the man provides Uh and someone has to take care of you yep yeah you can't take care of your own needs someone else has to when you start dating somebody (laughs) and your parents are like how much money do they make like yeah like they get worried if they're like a teacher right like Like, how about how much money do i make i'm fine i don't ever need to Uh see my partner see mine you know like if i want it that way you know but yeah it's it's so rooted in jewish upbringing and in general society in general it's like you need to for women it's like you need to make sure that your man can take care of you and provide for you and yeah yeah so 
when you stopped trying to make it about control and, and actually started checking in with yourself and said, you know, what actually feels good here? What did you start to notice? I started to notice that I did not feel like the partner that I wanted to feel like in a relationship. I didn't feel, you know, and this is different for everybody across the board as far as gender goes, but for myself, I didn't feel feminine. I wanted to feel feminine in a relationship. I wanted to feel soft. I wanted to cuddle up. Like in past relationships, there were moments where like, I didn't want to be touched softly. Like I didn't, I like, I would cringe at that. Like I didn't want to be cuddled. I didn't want. So was there, but was there a desire? Was it like there was a desire, but also you didn't feel comfortable? I don't think I was even aware of the desire in the moment. I just was, I was so in like, let me be safe in what feels uncertain here. And what, and like the safety for you was being in control and being, being in control in a masculine. Yeah. Way. So then like, yeah, because I needed to then be in that masculine energy. It was almost yeah. like my partners felt like boys and I couldn't, you know, it just felt like I wasn't being held by a man. It felt like you're little, like don't touch me. Yeah. 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 So how did you, how did how what was the process of you stepping into your feminine and 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 seeing your partners as like a man? Yeah, I mean a lot of it, right? Like I'm super grateful that we both have had this coaching, you know, with our coaches Amy and Ellie, and you know, like through Desire on Fire, this this work that we've done, like around the feminine and the masculine energy, and around tapping into our femininity. That that honestly, like. I always knew something just didn't feel good, but I didn't know why. And then that work that we did with our, with our coaches explained to me why, you know, the more that I dropped into my sensuality, the more that I learned to slow down, the more that I, you know, got in touch with my body, the more that I started feeling good for myself, about myself, by myself, the more I was like, oh, well, what? actually is complementary to my actual energy my softness my slowness is a masculine hold and so then it's like okay let me find that and then you find that and then the fears come up and it's like right like can you receive it (laughs) right exactly and so every single solitary day is like I just pat myself on the back where I'm like well, you slowed down so nicely today, Taylor. Like mm. you felt like a little kitten. Good job. Mm. And it's like, you know, it's I still the 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 book two parts always exist. I always want to be in control. I know I can trust myself, but it doesn't feel good in partnership. You know, like it doesn't feel good in business either. It doesn't feel good in life. Getting angry at the customer service person or getting angry at the employee or getting angry at my partner. Like it doesn't feel good. So it's like, okay, how could this feel better? Okay, like, how can I breathe a little bit more? How can I how can I add a little bit of breath? How can I add a little bit of slowness? How can I add a little more sensation? And now it's like when there are moments where I feel like I don't want softness, or I don't want the cuddles or, or, you know, the soft touch. It's like, okay, I don't want the sensuality. It's like, okay, what are you fearing right now? And I'm just afraid. And then I get to look at that and then name that or work through that. 
but yeah, wow. it's, it's just been this practice of like, where can I soften? Where can I slow down in all areas of my life? Wow. That's beautiful. It sounds like, sounds like this whole thing with control is more than just an awareness of, oh, I'm controlling, but it's a holistic thing. Like, had you not gotten in touch with your body, had you not gotten in touch with your femininity, then you wouldn't have even known what it is to let go of control, right? Like totally. you needed to experience it on all levels. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I was gripping onto control in every area of my life to the point that like this last year in quarantine, I was I was like living pretty paralyzed. Like I was so afraid to do anything next in my business, so afraid to start any new projects. Like I had so afraid to get out of a relationship, get out of a relationship, you know, anything, get into a new, all of a sudden a new relationship falls into my lap and I'm like, what the fuck? Like I didn't ask for this. (laughs) I mean, of course you asked for everything, but you know, I didn't think I asked for that. And then it's like, okay, more fears. Oh, he's not Jewish. And I have to tell my parents, okay, more fears. And it's like, you know, okay, there's a pandemic and I have a business more fears and like I wound up were you Mm -hmm. were you always this playful about fears because most people actually just let that overcome them you know and they're bedridden right I wonder I wonder your experience if I was hmm I mean I I do remember you always having that awareness like oh yeah that's just the fear and that's what you know that that's what you would say to me at least Uh um, when I would come to you you know, when I was da- dating Eric, my my first boyfriend, and and you would just be like, you're just pushing him away. Mm. So it does sound like to you, you you always just had an awareness around fears that you didn't take too seriously. You could kind of separate yourself from them. Yeah, I I think that um, I think that they fueled me a lot actually. Like I think that it, I just really used them as fuel since I was a kid. I had a lot of fears because I wasn't getting good grades. So I would fuel it to like be on sports teams. And I was terrible at being sports, but I was on every single sports team. And I used it to be in theater. And then I used it for, you know, whatever it was, like my fears definitely fueled me. And it, you know, it also, it goes hand in hand with like, well, I had these fears of not being enough. So I made sure that I was a leader and that I was confident and that I was overachieving. You know, and so now as I became more aware of myself and I got into this, you know, personal development work, I got to see what was what's the word, what was authentic and what was fear-based and like what's my personality and what's fear-based. But yeah, I think that the fears really fueled me more than anything. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure. So um, one thing that we both wanted to talk about was undaughtering mm-hmm. and and how that plays out into relationship. So, um, yeah, what, what were your first discoveries in noticing that you were just trying to be a good daughter in your relationships? Yeah, I think that, um, like, I grew up in a home where I... I, I mean, nobody ever had like a sex talk with me. Um, dating was just like, I remember being a little kid, like, don't have a boyfriend. Okay, like, don't have a boyfriend. I was such a goody two-shoes, like, always. So I just listened to that. Later on, I found out that, like, my sister was having tons of boyfriends. 
I missed out on it. I had no boyfriends and I um I just followed the rules. And um I guess I, I didn't want to rock the boat, I guess. But um but yeah, I guess when I got when I graduated from high school and went to college, I started you know, I was out of the home and I just started exploring like all the different sides of me and all of my different interests. And also this really stuck sexuality of myself, you know, like I, I was a goody two shoes. I was this religious kid. I was president of the religious youth group. Like I wanted all the rabbis to love me. I was such a good kid. Yeah, you were in so many leadership positions. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I Saving the world. Such a goody two shoes. And at the same time, like, I was flirting with every boy I ever met on the summer program, like on text message all throughout the years. Like, so, and like, like very naughtily too. So like, naughty. naughty. I was like sexting <laughs> up the wazoo and I was like 15, 16, 17. Like one of them yeah. is still a good friend of mine to this day. And we just laugh about it all the time. Like all the time. <laughs> That's so sweet. But like, yeah, there was, a, I had a lot of sexual awareness from a very young age, but it was so wrong. I was taught and there was no conversation around it. And I feel very grateful that, that like my upbringing was safe enough that what I was learning on my own was done safely. You know, like I went to yeah. college and I did whatever I wanted and like, you know, as I explored who I was and started dating and was like, I'm going to sleep with whoever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to, whatever it is. Like, I feel very grateful that I, that even though I, I wasn't being spoken to about sex and sexuality, I still had a good head on my shoulders. But yeah, I guess when it comes to undaughtering, I just had this mindset of like, I need to learn myself. I need to, I need to learn who I am. Nobody spoke to me about who are you? They just spoke to me about like, this is the way to be. This is how to be a good person, a good daughter, a good girl, you know, a wow. good worker, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, I'm like learning myself, not fitting into the molds that I wound up in. And, um, and kind of, yeah, just like really had to teach myself and have gotten to, to the point where I am through a lot of trial and error and a lot of of like divine guidance. I feel super grateful for the safety that was, you know, that I was wrapped in that led me through like just exploring with no boundaries, just like exploring dating and travel and, and talking to people and meeting new people with no boundaries. I just like really went and figured it out on my own. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, and yeah, I, no. No, I was just going to say, you, you like took me back down memory lane, you know, because <laughs> I, I remember these years for you and, and I, and it wasn't a time where I was exploring so much. So I remember you exploring a lot and being like, that seems great. You know, like <laughs> she's learning a lot about herself. <laughs> and it's interesting because a lot of what you would ask me is you would bring up that, that the reason why I would want to leave a relationship or the reason why. I would find these red flags was because I was dating them in the context of will I marry them, mm. which is another sort of on it, it's an undaughtering experience for me because I was raised, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in a community where finding your husband is really important. And and that's the end goal, right? Mm -hmm. Like finding that husband. What was 
your own experience that led you to be that person for me that was like, hey, it, these people, they don't have anything wrong in them. You just keep seeing them in the context of will you marry them so that you can push them away? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I feel really grateful that I've had a lot of very strong polarities in, in, you know, to compare from in my life, right? Like really, really religious running around New York city, doing whatever I want. Like, you know, like, um, really, really religious sex coach. Like I remember my dad one day just saying something to me. It was like a Jewish holiday and I wasn't observing something. And he just was like, said something along the lines of like, get Taylor. Like, you just never know what tomorrow brings. <laughs> like, I'm just, I've always just been figuring it out. And so I Which think- Which is so beautiful how much approval you have for it. Because a lot of people feel so much shame around that. Thank so you. take notes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that is also part of the question, right? Is like, that approval, I think, came from realizing that the opposite was- so stunting and like halting and just paralyzing for my life like I was watching my friends and I still have a lot of friends that are you know that are in the religious community their entire work depends on dating finding the husband you know settling down being safe you know having this like secure future And their entire worth depends on like, will this man, the guy's got all the control, will this man marry me? Will this man be the one that I spend the rest of my life with? And it it just was like, I I was seeing that crippling, you know, stress that my friends were in. I was feeling it for myself of like, I don't even like these men. They're so unappealing to me. Like none of them. With peace and love, uh-huh. as human beings, they were great, but they were just right. They were but wrapped up for you. Yeah, they were wrapped up in this community too. Like it wasn't even them; it was just the roles they were operating out of. It just did not feel good. And um, and for me, it was just like, okay, well, I don't want that. And then as I started, you know, all of this is t- is braided in with personal work. It's like as I started learning that I have control over my own life. And as I started learning that, like, and just, you know, this is a little bit cliche, but understanding that, like, I could die tomorrow, I could die 10 years from now, you know, that YOLO mindset. And as I started learning that, like, just because a marriage has been, you know, just because they've been together for 50 years doesn't mean that there is joy there or love there or connection there, you know, and for me, it was kind of like, okay, all that really matters is how I feel in this moment. And it it ties in with everything about the fear of the future and fear of losing everything and why I control. It's like, all that really matters is what happens in this moment. It doesn't mean that I don't want a partner that I can be with for a very long time, maybe forever, maybe have children with all of that. It doesn't mean that I don't want that. But if the options are, you know, grip and it doesn't feel good and there's no breath to it versus be present and enjoy it because it might not last 10 years 10 days then I might as well go the route where like I'm enjoying all of it in every single moment right because we because we don't have the control anyway exactly we have no control over anything Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I think what's really powerful and what I'm hearing you say is, is that you put the emphasis on feeling good as opposed to doing the right thing. Yeah. And most people don't ask themselves, like, how can I just feel good right now? Mm -hmm. Like forgetting this is your life, forgetting this is your experience, forgetting that's the point of it all. You know, it's more just that outcome focus of, of what's the right thing to do so I could get that thing so that that ultimately promises my happiness, which is what I'm neglecting right now and asking myself that question. Right, exactly. It's like, well, I want to feel good. So let me choose, let me choose feeling good, not let me figure out how to feel good. Like the figuring Mm, out is what stops feeling good. Right. You know, it's like, let me eat this chocolate cake while I figure out how I never run out of chocolate cake. Like then that cake doesn't Mm -hmm. taste good and you might never have more chocolate cake. You know, like who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, and you you mentioned about how you know you got into this um relationship unexpectedly, and then had to tell your parents that you know you're dating someone not Jewish. Um, and that I know was like a big part of your undaughtering too, mm-hmm. right? What what was that like, and and how did you tap into feeling good when you were doing it? Yeah, that was really terrifying. Also because. I mean, I love my parents so much and my family so much. Like I, I have a lot of love for my family. And at the same time, I always wish that my family was more communicative, more emotional. Like I felt like I still, you know, I have always felt like the, the emotional one and, um, and haven't felt connected over that. And that didn't cause me to be more communicative and more emotional. That caused me to close up and and really hide a lot about my personal life and getting in this relationship and living so close to my parents and knowing that like, I didn't want to hide this and just never be available to see them because I'm hiding this boyfriend. Um, I had to choose like, okay, what do I want here? I want, I want openness. And it really was this blessing to step into this next phase of, you know, where, where I am in my life is where can I soften and where can I add more breath? And like, I want that with my parents too. You know, I want, I want more in like enjoyment when I'm with my, with my parents and my family. And for that, it meant really owning myself. It meant separating from the fear and really like owning who I am. And, um, and sharing who I am with love rather than hiding myself because every time I hid myself, I grew my resentment towards them. It was like I hid myself because I have a story that they don't approve of me. And then it grows my resentment towards them because I'm living in the story that they don't approve of me. And when I told my parents about him, it was really terrifying. The first time went really well. And then I saw them the next week and they wanted to tell me all of their, you know, thoughts about it and I lost all of the personal development work I've ever done on myself it flew out the window in that moment I completely reacted to my mom's first not even sentence like fragment she gave me a fragment and I lost my shit energy felt the energy lost my shit I felt threatened I felt like I wouldn't be loved you know like it all just went out the door and that night was a huge fight like a huge fight And I remember even being in that moment, being like, looking at my mom, being like, okay, but why can't you just be okay with this fighting right now? Why can't you just be okay that we're yelling at each other? Like, that's not a bad thing. Like, this is just the way that it needs to be expressed right now. This is not bad. And 
I mean, my family has always wow. been the type that you can get into a fight and it's forgotten and, yeah. you know. Right. Yeah. But. Um, wow. That's so powerful. I've had that situation with my dad where my dad was like, we can just scream at each other and tell each other what we think, but at least we're telling each other what we think. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, wow. You're right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, I wanted to hide. Like after that, I wanted to take 10, I took 10 steps backward. Like I was in so much fear. Like after that was Thanksgiving and I brought my partner to Thanksgiving so that he didn't have to meet my parents like one-on-one, like so that my brother and sister-in-law were there. And you might, Maybe that would be less awkward. Like any, any way was going to be awkward for me because I felt awkward, right. you know? Yeah. And then I brought him and it went really well. But the minute we left, I broke out in tears because it just felt so terrifying and like not enough. And, you know, all of this stuff, I was in so much fear and it was just like, okay, you got to breathe. You're not going to lose your shit now. Like this is not how this is going to go. And like, how can you just keep remembering what's the truth? Like what's real here? What's wrapped up in story? Like, and and what's the truth? Like my parents love me. My family loves me. They'll get past their shit. Even if they don't approve of it, like they'll get past it because I'm, I'm super fortunate to have love here. And all that really matters is that I keep giving myself the approval and then I keep softening because otherwise, again, I'm not going to get what I want by hardening. Mm, yeah I'm just gonna keep protecting myself and feeling suffocated and I just don't want to feel suffocated Mm. anywhere yeah like you're just you're actually conscious of what you want to choose and be like all right this is what it takes yeah and I'm doing it because I choose yeah and then when it comes to undaughtering it's been like okay how can I see my parents as human beings not wrapped up in every single instance as their child not wrapped up and they need to be this way because I am their child and they are my parents. Or you like, need to be or a I'm, certain exactly, way. Exactly. Or yeah. I need to be a certain way because I need to please them. Like, no, they're human beings. I'm a human being. How can we just relate here as human beings? And mm-hmm. and honestly, that has only built more love for my parents rather than when I'm like judging them or feeling like they're judging me for not playing the parent and daughter role as like, my playbook decides it needs to be yeah you know Mm -hmm. yeah that's huge yeah it it removes like the expectations that we set with certain right right yeah yeah and uh and I love what you said about you know softening and hardening and and I know for you receiving has been a big thing especially because you've always been the mothering role and the provider Mm -hmm. um what does it mean to you to receive and um and how have you been opening up to it lately? Yeah. I think part of my fear of receiving is that I I I have this, you know, I noticed that I had this fear around money and around losing money or other people losing money, you know, like I I had because making money felt like uh it felt secure. I knew that I could do it. Um, that was like my safety blanket. And because I feared something in there, it was like, well, I don't want other people specifically to spend money on me. Because what if they lose all their money? I know how to save myself. I know how to protect myself. But what if they don't know how to protect themselves? And you yeah. know, like, they're- and what about what about in things like, um, 
like what's that what's that called um acts of service or like words of affirmation like mm-hmm. did you have struggles receiving other things yeah um yes and acts of service are one of my main love languages <laughs> words of <laughs> affirmation like give them to me all day long i could take words okay. of affirmation but yeah like acts of service and gifts were two things that i love giving i love giving and I know that I'm really good at and like, I know that it shows people that they're like, I know I'm, I'm making sure that people feel thought of and, um, and taken care of. And I didn't realize that I wanted that in return, you know? So then when I would receive it in return, it was like, Oh my God, don't do that. Like I need to take care of you. Mm. But then once I realized like how nourishing it is to be taken care of and thought of truly, it's just like, you know, as I built my business and I was so, I was working 18 hour manual labor days, seven days a week. Like I was completely, I lost 30 pounds. I was completely depleted. I was so exhausted. And like the best thing a person could do for me was do me a favor. (laughs) Like, you know, like show me that you were thinking about me. Yeah. And at the time you were dating someone who was very much there for you in that way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, helped me build my like was there with me at three in the morning cooking Mm. you know like yeah did you did you initially have a fear of receiving that totally at first it was like I have to pay you like I can't (laughs) you can't just do this for me like wow you can't just do something nice for me like that like Mm -hmm. you know and and now I see it with my current partner it's like um I want to be given to I want to receive I love gifts but I don't want you to give me a gift I'm too afraid that that's too much. I'm too afraid that I'm being too much. Like yeah, you can be so too common. much. I'll, I'll go mother Teresa and I will do everything for you. But like, I can't be too much, right. you know? And ultimately it's like, if, well, if I'm too much, then I'm going to be left. You know, if I'm too much, then I'm unlovable. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's really looking at like, no, they really want to give to you. Like that fulfills them too. And it's the same right. thing. And if they didn't, the, it's up to them. Like they can tell you, exactly, right? That's another exactly. One. Huh. Yeah, it's all it's all part of the ego death. Trusting that like they can, you know, communicate their emotions and needs and and you know, like they can do everything that I can do and they know everything I know and mm. I'm not better than them mm. and and they're not going to be without because they're giving to me. Like we're both going to have because we both are, you know, smart enough to to make and call in, you know. Yeah. Um, but truly it was like, it it was, it's been this whole process of killing my ego. Like I'm not better than anybody, Mm -hmm. but my ego wants to protect me. So it says you're better than everybody. And it doesn't show up as like, you know, me being an asshole, but it shows up as me caretaking and it's just not sexy. Like it's not (laughs) fun for anyone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I know something that you've also had to work through is, uh, is like just wanting partners specifically to do things without you asking or like just people mm-hmm. in general. How, how did you work through that? Like what, what, what breakthrough did you, did you see in that? In um, and having this sense of like, I want my partner to do this for me and I'm so sick and tired of feeling like I should just ask. And you know, that's <laughs> sort of like something that has yeah. a, as a, it's like a product of doing so much self-development of like, I should be asking for what I want because I'm responsible for it. And you like, end up right. just actually not doing the work. Right. You know? Like it's not yes. about that. Yes. 
Uh huh. We like overthink to the point that we're not in the work anymore. We're right. Like in. I'm responsible for yeah. my life. So why aren't I being responsible for my life right now? Like, uh huh. You know, uh huh. Like, uh-huh. like that's still beating you ourselves to pop up. Out. And beating yeah. ourselves up. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. What was the breakthrough there? Yeah, it started with the resentment, right? Of like, I don't want to have to ask for it. And ultimately, that just lived in like, if I ask for it, I'm too much, you know? And it also lives in something valid, right? Like, I see this so often with, you know, women that I coach that want their husbands to do something for them or their partners to do something for them without them asking. And it's a very valid thing, you know, like we want to feel thought of, especially when we're people that like, I am buying gifts for people all day long. It brings me so much joy. I'm going to show up at your house with a freaking huge gift. It makes me so happy. I love it. Mm. What would feel so good in return is if everybody always thought that way. They're like, oh, that random thing. Taylor would love that. Let me do it. You know, or even in general, like you are the kind of person who does think about the other before you do something. There are people who don't do that. And that's the thing is that there are people who don't do that and there's nothing wrong with right. them or that. That really was it. Like before I even get to the, you know, asking for it, it's first remembering like, no, my partner is not a bad person and doesn't hate me and doesn't not care about me. And I am not, not enough because he didn't bring me flowers, even though he should have known that I wanted flowers. Yeah. Like, no, he's just got a million other things on his mind. And that's not how he operates. Mm. And so now I, I get to ask for them. And I get to say, Hey, you know what I realized, if I ask you to bring me flowers, you'll remember to do the thing that makes me really happy. And then I get met with Wow, thank you so much. It actually feels so good for you to remind me that you love when I bring you flowers rather than making me wrong for not bringing you flowers. Yeah. Right. And then I'm like, oh my God, that's so much more rewarding. Like I just built up my partner. I reminded him of the thing that I love. He got to do it for me. He gets to feel really good. I get to feel really good that he brought them for me. And then the next Mm. week he brought me flowers. Wow. Yeah. I love that you said like that you built him up because I think, you know, hearing you describe the other scenario we build our partners up in like a fantasy way. Like he's supposed uh-huh. to be Prince Charming thinking about the flowers right. all the time. Why not build him up as opposed to like expect right. him to be there? You know, like we, it's almost like right. a false way of, of looking up to someone. Like I'm going to expect the highest totally. of you, but really it's just, it's just expectations. Like it's just demands. Right. I'm going to expect the highest of you without ever telling you what I like <laughs> and without <laughs> ever, you know, letting you get to know me and comparing you to all of the movies and all of my like craziest fantasies never know what I'm and forgetting right and forgetting that like you are focused on like doing your your job all day long or taking care of like things that need to be done and like you know being a good partner to me in all of the other ways that are your regular love languages of showing up and providing for me, you know? Yeah. I think we, we put so much emphasis on if he really likes you, he'll think of it as opposed to if he really Uh likes you, you'll ask him and he'll be so grateful and excited. Yeah. Like that will tell you how he feels about you. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Cause any, any partner, any woman or man or, or any gender can, any person, can mm-hmm. get the flowers and still not give a shit about you. Exactly. Right. 
Right. And it's like, if it's coming from a place of like, why won't you just do this for me? This is the one thing that would make me happy. Like that's never going to feel good. Yeah. But if it's like, Hey, you know, what make me feel so good. If you do this little thing, it just makes me feel thought of. And then they do it. And maybe you didn't want to ask, but they do it that one time because you asked and they feel really grateful that they didn't get you. You didn't get mad at them, you know, like they got to win. They didn't, you know, like helping your partner win. Yeah. Like we go through these partnerships where it's like, what did he do wrong today? What did he not do enough of today? Mm -hmm. Rather than like, yeah, letting your partners win. Wow. Yeah. So powerful. The seriously, like the marriage rates would not be where they're at if we if marriage is about oh helping each other win. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's amazing. Truly. Uh, well, we're wrapping up. Before I thank you for your time and incredible story. Um, together we wanted to share about the opportunity for women um interested in in personal work to join our program on daughtering which is a four-month program it's in a group context setting so not only do you get our coaching but also the support of women um in this incredible Mm -hmm. new way to form sisterhood of going through things together and really recognizing that we're all in the you know we're all in the same game and we all have the same fears and the same desires um yeah yeah and um and the program is about how to let go of that pressure, being a good daughter of of playing the role of good daughter everywhere in your life so that you could actually get in touch with how you feel, what you desire and, you know, really tap into all the things that Taylor talked about today. What else would you like to add on what undaughtering is all about? Yeah, it's just, it's going to be fun and it's going to be juicy and, um, and yeah, you, you really get to live from, like what feels good mm-hmm. you get the con and, and that's the thing is you get the confidence to do so and you get the that sense of safety in yourself to do so because yeah. honestly it's like well you can hear that like you can live feeling better and you can do what you want you can take these giant leaps but like here you'll have the support to actually learn how to have the support from yourself mm, yeah how to, how to you know yeah and also think like Oh, wow. And other people get to benefit from me feeling like living out my truth and my relationships do and my job does like, et cetera. Right. So it's like that surprise that everything else is going to benefit from you being your authentic self. Yeah. It's that concept of like you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Like if you feel good, other people will feel good. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 Even, even when it's telling someone, you, hey, I don't like it when you do that. It's like, right. Can you do this? Oh, yeah. Thanks for letting right. me know. It's like, wow, that, that was easy. <laughs> right. And doing that, learning how to do that from a place of love and like a place of commitment to something greater rather than from a place of fear, judgment, or a place of attachment, judgment, gripping, control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how people are normally operating. They're trying right. to control everything because they're terrified. Right. Like you don't have to be scared. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So if you're interested in working with us, send either Taylor or myself a a DM on Instagram. Um, I will write the information in the show notes. And Taylor, thank you so, so much for opening your heart on here and and really sharing from personal experience, like all the things that, that are super relatable that you went through and like you, like I said, you really are a go-getter and you really do 
um, walk the walk and talk the talk. So it's amazing for you to share with my listeners, like how things showed up in your life and how you courageously work through them in order to, to find the fulfillment that, you know, you can have, like you said, you know, like, you know, there's something bigger and you're not afraid to, to do what it takes to get there. Even though sometimes Mm. you're in the trenches and you're like, this fucking sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. How can you make even the trenches feel good? Yeah. That's that's what we do here. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I got to do this. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of Commitment Phobe. If this episode left an impact on you, please share with friends, family, loved ones, ex-lovers, the people in your life who you think would benefit from listening to these conversations. If you're curious about the kind of work that I do as an intuitive coach, head on over to my website, www.tanaimelgram.com, where you can learn more about what I do with my one-on-one coaching clients, group coaching programs, and you can set up a discovery call with me to see how I can be of support to you. You could also follow me on Instagram on my handle at Tanai Milgram. I'm always posting content about what I'm up to and new insights, new learnings that I'm getting along my journey. And please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review if you like what you heard. So together we can start changing the conversation we're having about intimacy and commitments. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you next week.